Good evening. Good to have each one here and trust that you all came wide awake. I know I didn't. <laughs> I, I warned Brother Brewer that I said, you might get a few sleepers on you tonight. So uh, I, I suspect that means he'll be a little louder. So <laughs> keep us awake. But uh, trust that you've come, excited to hear what the Lord has for us tonight, trusting that you've uh, come ready to worship. And uh, the Lord deserves all the praise, all the praise. And, and I'm looking forward to the day when we'll no longer need to sleep, we'll no longer need to take a break, we'll just be able to give all the praise that, that we can give and, and not have to worry about the limitations of this body. Uh, but let's, let's get in good practice here on earth, shall we? Let's stand together, let's invite the presence of the Lord to meet with us. Brother Dean, please pray for us. Amen. Please remain standing. Brother Rocky's coming to lead us in the singing. Grab yourself a hymnal and let's let it ring. Turn to page number 409. <coughs> Four zero nine. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> I saw.
16. You may be seated. <clears throat> Turn back to page number 111.
Thank you, Brother Rocky, for leading us in those good songs. Amen. Songwriter just about hit that one. song just about perfect, didn't he? Yes, sir. Just about every, every line of that song, such deep meaning. So thankful for our hymn writers in the past who've written, and, and even the ones that are current, but those that just know how to put in the deep truths of God's word and help us to be able to sing it. I, I wish I could express it how some of them know how to express it, but so thankful, so thankful that God has blessed those that could help us express what we have in our hearts. Well, as we go to the place of prayer, let's continue to pray for our revival. Let's pray for the brewers as they're ministering to us, trusting the Lord is going to continue to help them. Appreciate that good message last night. Uh, excellent, excellent truth, and um, trust that all of us will keep working on that. I don't suppose we'll ever uh, in this life get to the place where uh, we don't have some self-talk that isn't quite right, um, but thankful we can catch it and, and we can change it. And I thought that was an excellent message last night. But let's continue to pray for the brewers. Lord, would touch and help them. They have a granddaughter who's needing to put on some weight. I wish that was my problem. <laughs> I offered to share some, but apparently medical science hasn't quite figured out how to do the transfer. But anyhow, their little granddaughter has about a month old and uh, has only put on an ounce. And so uh, they're giving it until Monday. And there's some allergies, there's some other issues going on, but um, let's, let's pray for Becky. The Lord would help her to put on some weight and, um, and hopefully for me to put off some weight. So, <laughs> but anyhow, let's, let's pray for uh, Becky. The Lord would touch her and um, let's let's remember the parents. They're paying for some pretty expensive formula, and you know all the process with that. And they're ministering at Nibs, so let's let's pray for the, uh, the family there. Lord would touch and meet the need. Let's of course continue to pray for those that we've been uh, reaching out to, those that we've invited, and trusting the Lord uh, will um, meet their their needs. Looking forward to tomorrow. Trusting the Lord to uh, just help us to just. Uh, have a good Lord's Day, but let's let's be in prayer uh, for those that are weighing whether they'll come or not. That they'll that they'll make the decision to come, and that they'll do business with the Lord uh, in the service. Are there needs that you would like us to remember especially tonight? All right, of course you have your prayer list and our bulletin from last week and different ones to pray for. But let's let's hold up each other in the place of prayer. And, but let's ask God to show us our hearts that whatever we have need of most, that we would get it settled in this revival. Uh, it's wonderful to pray for others, but I don't want revival to pass me by. I want to grow in, in grace. I want to serve him better. It's me as that can. Well, let's kneel before the Lord. I'm going to ask Brother Gary if he'd lead us to the throne of grace.
By way of announcement, we uh, just want to remind you of tomorrow's services. Sunday school is at 9.45, and uh, we'd like you to come a little before then. And then service at 10.45, and then the evening service at 6. But we'll have uh, a carry-in dinner after the afternoon, or, or the morning service. Uh, and we'll have that in the afternoon. And we'd encourage you all to come, and our home folks, Throw an extra potato in the pot so that, we will so that we can have plenty. Trust that we will. We've never had a problem with that. We had some leftover pop from last night and some chips. And so uh, if, if we run out of food, we'll just give them chips and pop. So, but I, don't, I know that won't be a problem. But trusting that we'll have a good Lord's Day tomorrow, time of fellowship. And uh, trust we'll have victories. And looking forward to what God has for us. Uh, in that service, but in this service, I'm trusting the Lord to continue to help us. Um, I think that it's pretty, uh, our expense, revival expense offering is Tuesday, 
So I want to keep you in mind of that. All right. I believe this time we're going to turn the service right over to the Brewers. I believe they have a special song. And afterwards, Brother Brewer will give us the message. Let's open our hearts and receive the ministry of music. His love is 
people going to certain sports competitions paying pretty big money for the total expense of it all and they have no idea for sure whether their team's going to win or not whether it's going to be worth the trip but aren't you glad for his grace tonight he's given us heads up that His grace is sufficient, and that we can win before we ever start. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank the Lord. I so appreciate the grace of God and uh, it being sufficient, uh, sufficient unto my need and unto every need, and I can recommend it to each and every one. Thank the Lord. Well, it's good to be in church tonight. Good to see each and every one here this evening. Amen. Thank the Lord. And looks like we've had pretty good survivors. The lock in. <laughs> and uh, oh, that was great. We appreciate our, our young people and glad that they were able to have that occasion last night. <clears throat> Amen. We're glad that you're here tonight. Thank you for coming on a Saturday night. <clears throat> Amen. I uh, would like to uh, have you turn to some scriptures for our lesson tonight. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, slip over to verse 31. <clears throat> Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made 
with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which by covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But, as, but, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. We'll conclude our reading there at, at the end of verse 33. If you would, then slip over to the New Testament scripture to 2 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1. <clears throat> In order to establish a context for the text, I'd like for us to begin reading at verse 1. 2 Peter 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding and great promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. <clears throat> I can ask my wife if she would please pray for us. Tonight, if the Lord would help us, we hope to be able to answer the question in this message, what God has done to help us to be pleasing unto Him. What God has done to help us to be pleasing unto Him. It begins with a holy God. <clears throat> We must never, never, never forget, and we cannot get away from the, the effect and the influence of the realization of how holy God really is. 
we, in this day and age in which we live, with so much evil and unrighteousness prevailing around about us, and sad to say, in, in a lot of church circles, void of the real Spirit of God, it's, it's more and more difficult for us to, to really, really understand uh, how holy God really is. God is so holy and He is so righteous that He doesn't even want His name to be taken vainly or casually or without a purpose. We know we have, you know, just kind of adopted very easily to, to the matter of, of not cussing or swearing or, or taking God's name in vain. And, and, and that's so common to us, so second nature to us, that, that uh, we just live without that kind of, of vocabulary but really, really, the reason why he wasn't just trying to slap a, a rule on us to restrict a few words in the English language, but actually what he was trying to say is, is I am so holy, I am God, I am sovereign, I am a reality, I am a being that is real, and I, I am of such a nature I don't want even my name to be spoken of in a light way or used in a light way. I don't want it to be desecrated in a selfish way. I want my name to be used in a way that would highly reverence me. The holiness of God. God is holy. Very clearly the scripture indicates to us that God is holy. He is holy in all that He does. Everything that God does is holy. All of His activities, all of His actions are controlled and, and influenced by His nature of holiness. We can try to describe holiness in a measure of different ways. Totally void of any uncleanness. Completely void of any immorality. Holiness void of any, any, any deficiency whatsoever. Holiness is His excellency. Holiness is His majesty. Holiness is His glory. Holiness is His purity. Holiness is His, his genuineness. Holiness is His character that, that is, is not mixed with anything deficient. The holiness of God. And everything that God does, all of His actions, all of the words that God speaks tonight are influenced by His holiness, by that quality. Really, it's what helps us feel safe in the presence of God. For if we would have a God that has all power, which He is, all power. If we would have a God that was unlimited in strength and power, uh, uh, omnipotent, 
And he was also omniscient and he knew all things. And yet strip him of this quality called holiness. Would God be attractive to you? I mean, the songwriters said it. The scriptures even tell us, speak of the the beauty of holiness. It's his holiness that makes me feel safe in his presence because, because all that he does is influenced by his holiness. That means that his power, that means that his knowledge and all of his other attributes are, cut, are, are brought into line and, and, and come into line with this awesome, beautiful quality called holiness. Holiness. God existed self-sufficiently, independently. He does not need anything, even of his own creation, to prop him up. He is... He is, he, is, he is of an order of existence that is eternal. And he's always been holy. When he began to speak his words of creation, making his various orders of creation, everything that God made was good and holy. I mean, if there's anything that's not holy today, it's because it's been changed from its original creation. And that has happened. So this holy God has established... Holy commandments. He gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. And there, along with some other important items, God gave to Moses and thus to you and I. Even took his own finger and wrote them out. On the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is God's moral expectations of the universe, of of all of mankind. It's the moral law of God that isn't all that God gave on the Mount Sinai. He gave some laws specific. To the Jewish people, he also gave some laws there on Mount Sinai that were, that were a type and figure and, and object lessons of divine truth that, that was going to be fulfilled in, in the days to come. And even in that, he wrapped, in, he wrapped it up in, in, in beautiful object lessons where we can see the holiness of God. But the Ten Commandments specifically are God's moral expectations to His universe, 
It's his moral expectations. It's the Ten Commandments. It's, it's what he expects humanity to live up to. He did not give the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people alone. He gave them to the world. They're not just mere ten suggestions, as Ted Turner would say today. I'm telling you, they are what God expects all of humanity to live up to. He expects them to be His eternal, permanent, moral code of His special creation. That's indicated in the sense that He took His finger and He wrote them in tables of stone. That speaks that he was saying, I'm giving something of permanency here. Stones. That which is written in stone is meant to last a long time. Thank God for the carved out statements of truth and even scripture lessons, verses that are carved out in the tables and the stones, even of our national buildings today. Our, our American forefathers, whenever they built those buildings, had some American ideas, some American concepts based on the Bible. And they meant for America to follow the influences of that truth. And so they carved them out on buildings of stone that have been built many, 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 many years ago. But they're still standing today and you and I can read them. And we're saying we want these ideas, these American principles to, to be a part of our country, part of our nation forever. And when God wrote His laws, the Ten Commandments, on tables of stone, he was saying, this is my expectation out of humanity in a permanent basis. The stone's going to be around for a while. And even whenever they were broken, as you know, and, God, and Moses made his second trip up to Mount Sinai, a second time God took his finger and wrote those stones those words out on stone because he wanted the world to know this is going to last. My words, not one jot or one tittle, will pass away. Yes, there was the pattern shown in the mount as to how to build a tabernacle that day as well. That was given to Moses. The first principles of Judaism as far as the calendar year was inst installed then as far as the offerings and the sacrifices. Those were not written in tables of stone because they were going to be fulfilled in Christ. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Good. And so the moral code was not something to be amended by mankind by two-thirds vote or a constitutional convention. Or by the vote of Congress. These are God's moral code eternally. They are holiness codes. They are the code. They are the expectations. They are the will of God. Coming from a holy God. And so the Ten Commandments are going to be naturally then. A holy expectation. Throughout the rest of Scripture, 
We have scriptural principles that are also eternal. Throughout the rest of scripture, there are other passages that give us God's desires for us and reveals His will for us. The New Testament is full of those principles, especially as Christ is saying, with, with, with my coming and with my fulfillment, this is what the standard is. And the entire Sermon on the Mount is a message It's a masterpiece, homiletically constructed, the Sermon on the Mount is. And one by one, Jesus takes the moral code of expectation back in the Old Testament. A lot of this even straight from the Ten Commandments. And is saying, here now, with my fulfillment, here is how I want you to obey that. All because God is holy and He has His Holy expectation out of the moral life of every creature. Now, understanding now this moral standard for the universe, we have to also understand something that's rather sad. And that is the sad situation of man's failure. To keep them. Man's failure to keep them. Man has fallen short of being able to keep these laws of God. Man has, has come up short. I mean, early as the Garden of Eden. And God revealed His will to Adam and Eve. You have to realize tonight that in the Garden of Eden... God's expectations out of Adam and Eve were rather simple. Only one prohibition, that's all. Really? I mean, really, and we're going to get to this in a moment, but I'm just going to insert a little, a little thought here tonight, and I hope you get a hold of it. Really? When a holy God has made a holy Adam and Eve... And they are holy like He is. Yet, yet human, but yet holy because only God makes holy things. Oh, what, what kind of a things do you have to tell holy people not to do? You follow what? What need was there of the Ten Commandments in the Garden of Eden when we're starting with the world's population of two, grand total of two, The world population was two in the Garden of Eden, and those two were holy, just like God as far as moral nature. And you don't have to have a law book that big to slap on them. He just gave them a few little simple commands. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to have dominion over it. I want you to replenish it. And in the midst of the garden, there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Evil. And I don't want you touching it. I don't want you eating it. That's one fruit. That's one thing I don't want you to do. Now, you would imagine, honestly, I mean, we have rules and regulations everywhere we go today. It doesn't matter what kind of career you go into. 
You've got all kinds of state policy that you have to follow. Whenever I was pastoring St. Louis, Michigan, the church there, we were investigating our needs for uh, be it updating regarding our insurance policy for the church. And so I was talking with the insurance agents, agent there, and we was, uh, you know, getting those, those kinds of things taken care of. And in the process, we, the agent and I were getting to know each other a little bit better. And he said, you know, he said, I started, <clears throat> he said, I started out, <clears throat> he said, I, I, I graduated, my, my undergraduate degree was in education. He says, I started out as a teacher. And uh, he said, uh, I wanted to get into educational administration, principalship, and so forth like that. And he, so he says, I, I did, and I got into to being a superintendent of a school. And he says, I got so sick and tired of the school and, and all of this. He says, I got so sick and tired of every time I turned around, there was a new policy coming down from the Department of Education, from the Capitol. He says, we were having to follow this policy and that policy. and had to implement this and implement that and everything like that. And he says, I just got so tired of the government. Just got so tired of the government just telling me every move to make. He said, I thought to myself, I want to get out into private. Uh, I want to get in, out into to, to capitalism. I want, to get, I want to get out into uh, business a little bit, commerce. And so he says, I decided to leave the field of education to get away from all this governmental policy. And so he says, I decided maybe uh, I would go, I'd go into selling insurance. And you're laughing just like he was laughing. He says, it was just like driving down an old Illinois Country road, you dodge one hole and hit another. And you run from the government and the educational system and you run right in to all kinds of policies that you've got to follow when you're in business. And zoning rules. We just, are, we just, we just... I mean, we can't even get our driver's license without running, reading a book and passing a test on the rules of the road. That might be a good thing. But the point I'm trying to make is we're so used to laws and policies and, and, and everything. We, we, we just live with it all the time. How would you like to live in a world that only had one rule? That's all. Do everything you want. You're holy. Do everything you want. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all. Everything else is okay. How would you like to live in a land like that? And you would think, surely, you would think, surely, they could last longer than a few days. But it wasn't very long with the awful work of serpent, Satan, the devil. He knew how to do it. And so man has fallen from grace. He's fallen from his original creation. And in his sin, he's become separated from God so that that relationship that he had with God, where there was interaction and exchange and where the abiding holiness of God was kept alive in them, that relationship now is cut off and now man is no longer holy and righteous any longer. And guess what? Mankind living with that in, without 
that inward nature of holiness because God had created them holy to start with. Sin now has removed and depraved man. And without that inward nature of holiness, holiness is no longer guiding his everyday life. The moral nature of God, the moral quality and character of holiness is no longer influencing the daily activities of man until man's imaginations were evil continually and God felt like the only way he could deal with it was by the way of the flood. I'm just saying tonight, I'm just saying this evening, at this second part of the message, man has miserably failed to live up to God's moral character and God's moral standard. Romans 3, 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians 3 and 22 tells us that the scripture hath concluded all under sin. We have a problem as human beings in a general sense. We are unable, unable to live up to God's will. God establishes expectations for humanity. God has given us that, that revelation of His will. Not just only in the Ten Commandments, but I'm highlighting them because there's something you and I can grasp easily tonight. God has, has expressed His own holiness character through the giving of these Ten Commandments. We no longer have that holiness anymore because of the fall in the garden. And we are continually failing in that unholy condition to live up to God's moral standard. Man's failure. Man's inability. There seems to be something on the inside that always pulls and drags down. And with all the good intentions that man has... He seems to always fail. I mean, what happens on the 3rd of January every year? We've already broken our New Year's resolutions. Intentions. I'm talking about the moral incapability. The moral incapability. Now, if you are careful here. I don't want to sound like a politician and talking out of both sides of my mouth. But see, dear friends, how can an unholy human being live up to a Ten Commandments and other principles of righteousness that a holy God established? There's a incapability. There's an in, there. There's an impossibility. Maybe do good, maybe on one of them for a while, but break how many others? Or maybe you've got nine of them conquered, but then you're weak on one, whatever the case might be. But that man's struggle and his inability. And the devil's always there saying, after a person has invited us to church, don't get too close to that outfit. You can't live up like that. You can't live like them. 
or during a revival meeting or a camp meeting service and the older invitation is being given and the music is being played and faithful ministers are pleading with souls to seek the Lord and conviction is there and there's something in our heart that we feel and recognize the invitation of the Holy Spirit. And the devil says, you can't be a Christian. You can't live up to it. You've failed and failed and failed. And sometimes after we've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, and maybe now after having backslidden how many times, we're discouraged with even trying again. Are you following what I'm trying to say? You understand this dilemma. And so we have a tendency to say, well, I just can't do it. I can't. I can't live up to it. Man's moral failure has convinced him now that he cannot. I said that I was going to answer the question, what God has done in order to help us be pleasing unto himself. He predicted it. The prophet Jeremiah, recognizing the utter moral failure of humanity, an unholy human being, unable to reach and to grasp and to attain and to successfully keep the laws of God and, 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 and be pleasing to the Lord. Jeremiah recognized that, that, uh, that dilemma. And in his ministry of prophecy and foretelling, he's saying... We've given, God has given the Ten Commandments. When Moses brought our forefathers out of Egypt, God has given a, us, us a covenant. And we've already broken that covenant. But Jeremiah says, I'm going to give you a new covenant one of these days. And this new covenant is going to be that I'm going to write my laws in your heart. I'm going to do something instead of, instead of having my laws written on tables of stone, external from you, out there from you, as a moral code way up there hanging over you. I'm going to take those laws, my moral law, my expectations, my will for you, and I'm going to write them in your heart. I'm going to write them in your heart. And so, what he was saying is, whenever he was saying that, he was telling them morally, what Jesus Christ was going to accomplish on the cross and what the Holy Ghost was going to accomplish on the day of Pentecost. Because the cross and Pentecost combined together, of course, including the marvelous resurrection, all three of those events were going to be the provision 
and the power and the, and the fulfillment of the promise of having God's law written in our hearts. For you see, Jesus Christ came. His message is, I'm not doing away with the law. I'm not lowering the standard of the law. I'm not taking the law down. We're not going to amend the law. We're not going to remove the law. We're not going to change the law. That is still there. But I will fulfill the law. I mean, I'm not going to change it. I'm God. I was there when, when, when God, really it was my finger that, it really Jesus is my finger that wrote those on the tables of stone. I'm not changing what I wrote in stone. But we have a moral problem in society, in our special creation, our most beautiful creation called mankind and humanity. We have a desperate problem. They are unable to live up to and attain to our expectations as a holy trinity. And so, I'm going to come down to the earth and I'm going to become man myself through a virgin birth. And through a, 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 a conception that is supernatural. And I'm going to become man. And in, in my life and ministry. As a human being. As a human being. I'm going to live. According to the law. That God has given. How can I do anything other than that? I'm God myself. And I have a holy nature myself. How can I do anything else than that? But that's not good enough. For me to just come down and live 33 years according to the law of God. What does that accomplish for anything else? anybody else? What I'm going to do is take this one step further. And I'm going to open up a way. I'm going to open up a way. Where these that have fallen. Where these that have sinned. Broken their fellowship and relationship with us. And broken that connection between God and themselves. Whereby the holiness of God flows between God to man, I'm going to open up a way by my death on the cross where reconciliation can be made. And in my forgiveness and in my pardon, provided by the atonement of my shed blood on the cross, I'm going to make up a way, I'm going to provide a way whereby those that are sinful can be reconciled back unto us and they can receive pardon for what they have done wrong. And once that pardon has been enacted, once that has been brought into place and they're forgiven, now they will be in a a relationship. They're going to be in a connection with us that we're going to reconstruct Because sin has destroyed it. So that the holiness of God can flow back into humanity. 
like they were originally made. Furthermore, furthermore, I'm going to raise from the dead. My father is going to raise me from the dead. And in that resurrection, I'm going to have a power to be able to undo everything sin has done to mankind. In my resurrection, I'm going to be able to undo everything that sin has been able to do to humanity. So that we can reverse mankind's problem. Then, I'm going to give the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. Now, this is the third person of the Holy Trinity. He has been united with us as a Holy Trinity for all of eternity. And we have been working on this for a long time. In fact, God the Father realized that if we endowed humanity with a will, we realized that some human was going to use that will wrongly. And before we ever set up the plan of creation, God the Father already asked me from the foundation of the world that's found in the book of Revelation if I would be willing to be slain on a cruel cross in order to redeem fallen man and humanity back unto us. And I agreed to the plan. And I agreed to it. It was well as done. It was the same as done. I knew my design. I knew my mission. I knew my job from the very start. But once the words of creation were clearly being spoken and things began to exist, I knew I was destined to the cross and destined to the grave. And so I did that willingly. I did that willingly. They didn't take my life. There's a sense in which they didn't. I'm not even a martyr. I gave my life in order to make a way that fallen humanity that's been distant and destroyed by sin can be brought back into relationship with us. And that connection can be reestablished between mankind and a holy God so that the holiness of God can be given and granted to humanity once again. And so, on the day of Pentecost, the ones that have obeyed me and followed me in pardon and followed me in justification, and they are my disciples. The ones that have been following me and are my disciples. On that day, the Holy Ghost is going to be given to them as individuals. All 120 of them are going to receive within themselves the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into their heart, 
in that experience that takes place in their personal Pentecost or that second work of grace that takes place after they're saved, I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit. And by giving them the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to impart back to them my divine nature. You see, when we get sanctified holy, it's more than just an emotional experience. When we get sanctified holy, it's more, much, much more than just a second trip to the altar. When we get sanctified holy, dear friends, it's more than just following a form that has that we, that we kind of like as holiness people. I want to tell you what it is. It's a dynamic. It's a supernatural. It's a special. It is a, it is a miraculous transaction that takes place where God gives to us His holiness, His nature, His character. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, He brings His holiness with Him. He brings His holiness with Him. He brings His nature, this moral excellency, this virtue, this glory. He brings that with Him. I started out with a holy God. I'm ending now with this matter of a powerful experience with God in entire sanctification where God gives to us His moral character, His very own holy nature. The text said it. He's given us promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. And so now humanity... having been forgiven of all that they've been done wrong in salvation. Now an entire sanctification has been given the holy quality of God. Now you and I have that nature of God in us as a sanctified being. Guess what? It's that same nature that God had when he wrote the Ten Commandments. It's that same quality. It's that same character that flowed out of God whenever he gave the Ten Commandments. What does God do to help us be pleasing to him? By the works of grace and restoration and by the work of reconciliation, and by the work of an impartation of the Holy Spirit, God, God gives to us His very same holiness out of which He wrote the law in the first place. And so now, with that on the inside, guess what? His holiness in us now influences our day-to-day -day activities just like it influences God's day-to-day -day activities. And so that's how God wants you and I to live a holy life.
We can try doing it in man-made ways, but we'll continually fail. I can slap onto you a whole bunch of a moral code, but that doesn't help you one bit to live up to it. You see, I need something more than that. And in order for me to live up to the moral code that God established for me out of His holiness, then I've got to have His holiness to live up to it. And so what does God do so that I can now live pleasing to Him? He says, I'm going to make a way so I can make you like myself. I can make you like me. I mean, it's called Christ-likeness. And someone has said that Christ-likeness is the essence of holiness in humanity. What? So, I said, I'm not going to be a politician. And I'm not, I'm going to be a preacher. And so when the devil comes around and says, you can't do it. You can't be a holiness person. You can't live that way. You can't live up to, to God's standards. I say, oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Before the cross and before grace and before reconciliation, oh, man has this moral problem of, of, of inability to live up to it. The devil says, you can't do it. So many are, con are, are convinced of it. Man has tried and tried and tried and just given up. But oh, friends, what's God done to help us be pleasing to Him? He has made a way in His cross and His resurrection. He's made a way where we can be restored and reconciled into Him. And in His second work of grace called entire sanctification, He imparts to us His very own nature. And so now the nature of God dwelling on the inside of me makes me able to be able to live according to what He wants. And you know what, dear friends? You can have that kind of an experience and relationship with God, and you can have that kind of success in living pleasing to God. You can do that if the church would apostatize because you can keep the holiness of God in your heart. If the church would backslide or compromise or become worldly or void of the presence of God, you can still keep the presence of God. Let the world go with the world. I'm going to keep Jesus on the inside of me. And by so doing, I'll keep right on living, pleasing to the Lord. That's what God has done. To enable me to be able to be pleasing to, to Him. In sin, no, you can't. But in grace, yes, you can. Don't let anybody fool you. Young people, you can take the holiness way. You can be pleasing to God. You can live like God wants you to. Why? Because he's made a way where you can have his very own nature influencing your day-to-day -day decisions and, and calling the shots in your life. It's not a form. It's not an object. It's not a type. It's not a figure. It's not an allegory. Dear friends, it's a reality. The very presence of God. Jeremiah said, I'm going to, God's going to come and give a new covenant. What's that covenant? He's going to write those laws in your heart. 
on the day of Pentecost or when we're entirely sanctified, God takes his Holy Spirit that wrote those laws to begin with and gives those to us. And then, as a human being, we walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, he shows us daily. And he might say, I want you to change this about your life. I want you to adapt here a little bit. What's it doing? The holiness of God. The holiness of God is just merely influencing your day-to-day decisions. You see what I'm trying? That's how God keeps us on the straight and the narrow. It's not a religion of just mere legalism. It's a religion of having God's very nature on the inside and letting it live like it's supposed to live. Let's stand together. The question tonight, if we would have an appeal, is not whether you made your second trip to the altar. The question tonight is, is not whether you even profess to be saved and sanctified. The question tonight is not whether you followed a certain form of ritualism. The question tonight is, is what kind of nature do you have in your heart? What kind of nature do you have in there? Do you have God dwelling fully in his spirit? Do you have God's nature dwelling? He said, the life that I now live, it's not I, but the life Christ liveth within me. And so looking at it not just merely in terms of cliches and and ordinary ways, I want to talk about real terms tonight in this invitation. Real terms, the way things really are. I'm not asking if you have a feel-good experience. I'm asking you tonight what kind of nature you have on the inside. And I bear you good news. Jeremiah said it. I want to write my laws. I want to give you a new covenant. I'm going to impart to you my own divine nature. You don't have to have a nature in your heart that's not right. You don't have to. You can have the holy nature of God. We're going to bow our heads, please, and close our eyes. We're going to have a prayer of dismissal in just a second or two. But while we're just kind of waiting here tonight, is there any here that would say, Brother Brewer, while you've been preaching... God's been showing me some things in my life, in my heart, that's not like God. I've been recognizing some things in life leading up till this moment, some things inside my soul that's unclean and God's not pleased with. I want to open the altar. Is there any here before we have the prayer of dismissal who would say, Brother Brewer, I need to pray about that. I want that cleansed. I want that removed. I want the divine nature. Because if I can have the divine nature, then I know I can be pleasing to God. Anybody like that? Like to come have their heart cleansed tonight? Amen. What God has done.
to make it possible for you to be pleasing to him. Amen. Thank you so much. You've listened so well. I want to thank you for that. Our Father in heaven, <clears throat> you know how to take this line of truth. Help us to get past the, the, the religiosity of things and the churchanity of things and help us to get down to the reality of our experience with God, what kind of experience we have actually with Him, and help us to be honest. And dear Lord, help us to realize that when we get saved and when we get sanctified, there's something of a tremendous, real, supernatural work that takes place. And Lord, help us to make sure, help us to make sure that we have those real works of God experience in our life tonight. And we'll thank you for how you help us. Bless this congregation, this wonderful flock, as we go our various ways this Saturday night. Prepare our hearts for the great Lord's Day tomorrow, and we'll thank you for how you help us. In Jesus' name, amen.